Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hey, guys. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for waving, guys. Mike, you're on mute. Hey, you're, still a, you're still I, a wedded I as well. I am. <laughs> nobody can see this, but I thought I'd point it out. Paint the visual in your head. Mike is silhouetted on Zoom as we're going to talk about the Vikings spring as it marches along. OTAs are over the three-day slash two-day mandatory minicamp for Minnesota is next week. So there's going to be a lot of storylines that we will get to about who's going to be there, who's not, and what this team is going to look like as some of these final dominoes uh, start to fall for, for the major pieces of this roster. Um, let's start with what we heard from the last OTA open to reporters. Wes Phillips, the offensive coordinator, spoke to the media uh, and basically said he was asked about Ty Chandler, second year running back, rather innocuous question about, hey, is he going to be ready for another step or a bigger workload in his second year? And Wes said, well, I think he's going to have to be. Uh, <laughs> everybody is talking like Dalvin Cook is on another team already, even though he's still on this roster. Alexander Madison is the part of the Twitter he header now for the at Vikings Twitter handle. Uh, as opposed to Dalvin Cook, literally replacing Dalvin Cook on the team's banner. Um, ben, Mike, uh, Ben, let's start with you. Obviously, you and I were both there yesterday. How did you take that comment? And it just seems to fall in line with everything we know at this point, that it's it seems to be a mere format. We're waiting on the mere formality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have not been terribly shy about speaking about this in a way that would suggest that Cook is gone or, or will soon be gone i think there is it, it's been complicated because i don't think every this is not like an acrimonious thing um i i don't think that cook and the vikings are ready to just you know shoot daggers at each other or anything like that um i continue to say and we've said it for months that he won't be here on this deal they're not going to have him back here at $14.1 million on the cap when Alexander Madison is going to play a bigger role in this offense. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So when roles change, compensation changes. And I think it's trying to figure out if there's a spot where they can get something done. They have not released him, obviously, because there's been, I think, interest in getting something done. The trade hasn't materialized because... It probably hasn't been what they're looking for yet, especially if they feel like there's a scenario where Cook can come back in some type of a complementary role. Um, but yeah, I mean, short of that, I think we are still headed towards some type of a major change, either in his role or his employer. I, it just is not going to be the status quo with him. And uh, it's a matter of time of figuring out where that goes. Yeah, Mike, it, it sounds like, too, I should add that to the Wes Phillips quote, he had also mentioned that um, he went out of his way to say, we got a special group of running backs. And he said, when you're talking about Alex, Kanae, Ty, and CJ. Um, <laughs> so, again, just adding to it, this is going to be the future backfield of the Vikings, uh, obviously. Yeah, it's just it's it's a strange process as it's played out. I mean, I, I'm trying to I, – I think what they're probably finding out and what we've been wondering for a while is what exactly is – the market for somebody like Dalvin cook. And it doesn't seem like it's all that robust based on the fact that he's still here on June 7th, even though they have no real intention, it seems of keeping him unless it's on a 
dramatically reduced deal. So it's just, you know, his is just kind of a case study in what it's like to be a running back these days, right? Well, he says, he had four straight thousand yard seasons. He's a, you know, a reasonably four good pass catcher. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a good running back. He's been like, you know, one of the better running backs on a team that's had a lot of really good running backs over the years, but all of the data we have on running backs says that they're a expendable B that you don't pay them and see that they get worse at a certain age. And so he just kind of hits hit this spot where there's a lot of guys that are at least 80 or 90% of Dalvin cook for about 20% of the price. And that's the problem he has. So it's, it's a tough thing for a running back, I think, but it's, it's strange that they don't just, I mean, I guess you don't you don't do something until unless until unless you have to. So from that standpoint, it makes sense. It's just you would have thought that something would have happened by now. Yeah, I mean, even if you're sixty percent or seventy percent of Dalvin Cook, I I think the point you hit on there about twenty percent of the price is a really big one. Um, I, I think that has a lot to do with this, and it could be that you're waiting until training camp, and you know maybe somebody loses a running back in a preseason game or a joint practice, probably more likely given the fact that nobody plays in preseason games anymore, um, or just in a drill that something happens somewhere where somebody gets hurt and all of a sudden people get desperate and, Hey, we've got a running back that has a proven track record in this league and and we'll go with that. But, you know, I, they're not going to give him away for nothing. I think that has been the major factor here as much as anything else that they're just not going to, you know, toss him to the side for for nothing. But I don't know that you're going to get a whole lot more than you got for Zadarius Smith, and I suppose that's worth something, and you do it if you can. But, yeah, I, I think it has as much to do with, you know, nothing's forcing us at this point to do it as much as it has to do with we see this grand role for Dalvin Cook in 2023. It's not a really tradable contract. Um, no, it's not. And I've misstated it on previous podcasts. He's due 11 million. I, I was right in saying that only two guys are due more, but I'd said 12 million. It's 11 million in cash, but it's just McCaffrey and Bijan Robinson who are taking home more this year than him. So who's going to trade for that? Then they have to negotiate. It has to be a sign and trade. Yeah. I'm doing a new deal, much like Zadarius was, where, yeah, it works because you've got Andrew Barry in that relationship with him, with Quasey. They need some other kind of. Uh, Olive Branch extended them seemingly to get a veteran off their books in a way that uh, other teams don't seem to be willing to jump in for Dalvin Cook at this point. My question is, where is the line? At some point, you want the money. At some point, you're just going to cut him if you truly don't have any kind of deal on the table. Um, Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, all these guys are also currently free agents and available to other teams. If Dallas is truly a team that Dalvin Cook might be, be interested in going to, or they're interested in him, uh, what happens if they re-sign Zeke and that's not a suitor anymore? Um, it almost seems like they're it's in their best interest to act sooner than later. And we keep saying this and the draft goes by. And we keep saying this and OTAs go by. I wonder where the line is when they just say, you know what, we're just going to cut you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's got to be that point. And it, you know, the, the thing at this point, I guess, is that unless you need the cap space for something else, I'm sure we'll talk about the, what the something else could be here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you probably can sit and wait and try to see if time yeah. increases your leverage. I mean, you know, that has to be, I think part of the the thought process at this point. 
Well, I would imagine Dalvin Cook would have an excused absence from mandatory minicam next week if he's still on this roster. Yep. I would, I would guess so. two other guys would not in Daniil Hunter and Justin Jefferson. Let's start with the one that we're certain is going to be sticking around in Justin Jefferson. Uh, he didn't get the Madden cover. That, nope. went to jo- that went to Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. I think, Ben, am I right on this? The last wide receiver on the Madden cover was his buddy Odell Beckham Jr., right? Yeah, what year would that have been? 16 or 17? It was yeah. It was around the one-handed catch time. It was like sure. right after, I think it was right after that. One-handed um, catches aren't as bankable as they used to be, I guess. <laughs> that's right. You could have had the Buffalo catch. You could have had both of them. You could well, have yeah, he did it in Buffalo. He, and, and a game where Josh Allen threw two picks, but I guess it doesn't matter. You why couldn't they put Josh Allen dropping it's the snap again? Josh Allen dropping the snap at the one yard line. That should have been on the Madden cover. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Um, but I just I think it was a long shot, right? That 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 we would have seen Jefferson on a Madden cover just to, because we don't see non quarterbacks very often. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It has been a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, as everything has been, he's it, in his effort to enter the quarterback stratosphere in terms of his tax bracket. Um, you're kind of reminded why it's always quarterbacks. So the quarterbacks are the big stars that drive everything. He should be entering that tax bracket relatively soon. You would think um, it is an interesting situation because as we pointed out on startribune.com and talked about Justin Jefferson first became eligible for a contract extension this off season, meaning that the team has him under team control for quite a few years through all the mechanisms yeah. that are collectively bargained. Um, so Ben, from your understanding, where do things stand with Justin Jefferson and a guy who has not shown up yet to OTAs? Yeah, I mean, all of this is, you know, sort of par for the course in terms of where you play these things. He's not showing up because they're trying to get a contract done. And I don't know that we will see him next week. If we do see him at minicamp, I would not expect to see him on the field. I And I think that has as much to do with the fact that he hasn't been here as I mean, people are going to interpret it, interpret it as a hold in. Um, I don't think it's exclusively that I, I think they have their own just process of if we haven't seen you, uh, we're not going to put you in the most rigorous two days of practices that we have in the offseason simply because you're too valuable to lose. I mean, you, you can't replace a guy like that. So I, I think some of it is until you have a good sense of where he's at physically. I mean, he's been training. I, I don't think there's any question that he'll come in and shape, but until they've had a chance to see him and, and kind of get a sense of it, I, I don't expect that we would see him on the field based on kind of my sense of things and, and talking to a few people and kind of figuring it out there. But I don't think they're as close on a deal yet as some of the chatter was last week. I I think it's still trying to figure out uh, what the structure is going to look like. Is it worth doing it now? I mean, as you point out, they, they have a year of his rookie deal. They've already picked up his fifth year option. So he's like, it's like $4 million this year, 17 next year. And if they wanted to do it, I'm not saying they will, but if they wanted to do it, they could franchise him twice. So at that point, you could control him until age 28, basically, 
before you have to do anything with his contract. So, you know, we talked last week about trying to get back on the market. You know, they, they also have that ability to um, control things for a while where they have enough leverage that if you're going to get them to buy those years out, it has to be worth their while as well. So it's, I, I don't think we are, you know, minutes from it being done. You know, you could say that and then somebody decides, oh, I'm comfortable with this. And then it, <laughs> things move very quickly. We've seen that happen before. Um, but I, I think there's still a ways to go in terms of trying to figure out exactly what this looks like, simply because it is early. There's There's no deadline driving this other than the fact that he's really good. They want him. He's going to be around, so why not just get it done? But I, I think everybody has to feel comfortable with I'm signing off on this from both sides, and I think that is still a work in progress, at least at this point. Yeah, Mike, I think most people, I just assume, would say, uh, show up week one, who cares? Uh, when does it become a problem, you think? I mean, I don't think it's a problem if he misses minicamp necessarily, even if it's mandatory. I think it becomes a problem if he's not there at the start of training camp. Uh, I mean, that that to me starts to signal more discontent. And then you start to think about, okay, is he really going to be 100% ready, whether it's mentally or physically, when the season starts? So I, I feel like, you know, I don't think he needs the reps, like things like that. But I think like from a from a standpoint of how you feel about his relationship with the organization, if this stretched into – late July, early August. I don't think that would be great. I mean, I think they could say at some point, Hey, we're tabling negotiations and we're not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be there. Um, but nothing, the deal's not going to get done maybe until next summer. I could see that if, if they're not able to, to come to some sort of agreement, but, um, I would, I would be uneasy if, if there was no kind of understanding and he wasn't there, you know, day one in, uh, in, in Egan. We saw uh, Lamar Jackson do that last year. They talked through, I believe, training camp August, and Lamar was the one obviously representing himself, saying, we're not going to talk through the season. We're going to shut this down and focus on the year. Uh, that didn't go too well for them, but they eventually came to a deal. Um, but, Ben, everything that you've reported that we all know, uh, certainly that anybody around this team does know this, Justin's got a good relationship with this organization right now and yep. that – I guess I would be surprised if he didn't show up next week. Um, maybe even him knowing that, hey, I'm not going to be doing a whole lot by showing up. Yeah, and I, I think if he shows, you know, they won't probably have him do a lot. If he doesn't show, I don't think that is going to be interpreted in the building as, oh, he's hit the nuclear option or something like that. I mean, you're going to hear that probably. It's going to be portrayed that way probably by by some I I don't think they are looking at that as oh my gosh this guy's trying to burn it down. I mean the the, the fatalistic um, outlook on this I I just don't think we're there or close to there yet. He's he's got he's had a very good relationship with the team. He's talked about his relationship with Kevin O'Connell and saying he's probably closer to him than any coach in his career. Uh, I I don't think any of that has been affected by this I, I think it's business negotiations and and there's some of the business parts of this that I'm, I'm sure it's like well okay um it, we're we're now in a new phase of our relationship where we have to talk about 
well, how much do we like you? And you put dollars and cents on it and you put guarantees on it and all those things. That does change it in a sense, but I, I don't think there's like a, a a level of personal animus here or anything close to that. At least at this point, I don't think we're we're close to that in general. I, I, it doesn't feel like that type of a relationship um, between him and the team at the moment. And I, I think given the personalities involved, it's a little less likely to go there um, than than some might. Not saying it can't, not saying it, it may not go there eventually if negotiations go really badly, but I just don't think we're on a uh, in some hyper track to that or anything like that. Let's go to a relationship that's a little cloudier with the Minnesota yeah. Vikings. Um, the it's complicated. Last- the last star name uh, not showing up at this point. It'll be very interesting to see if number 99 rolls into town. Um, Daniil Hunter has not been here throughout this offseason program, uh, similar to not being here in 2021 before they eventually struck a deal right before mandatory minicamp. That would have been around exactly two years ago. Yeah. The Vikings and, and Daniil have so far been unable to get him under contract in any kind of one-year fix again this year or even a long-term deal that Kwese Dofa Mensa said when I asked him a year ago, do you want this guy? Uh, before he ever played it down for one of Kwesi's teams, uh, he said this is a type of player that you want long-term. And now after the type of year that the defense had, the type of year Daniil had, um, I do wonder if thoughts and feelings have changed considering that it's somehow been a long time since we've seen Daniel Hunter perform at the level that he did when he was the fastest player to 50 sacks ever at 27 years old. Yeah. Um, now in sticking in a three, four defense, how is he going to transition fit? Well, they don't even know. Cause he's not here. Um, Mike, I actually want to start with you on this and just ask how much should the fan base should Vikings fans still want Daniel Hunter? Do you think? I mean, it's a good question because I don't think he's necessarily a great fit for a 3-4 scheme. I think we saw that last year. Now, I think how Brian Flores runs a 3-4, I think you're going to like the way they play a little bit more than maybe you did with Ed Donatel. Um, so maybe there's the potential for you know him in a more aggressive defense in a, in a, in a way that a defensive coordinator might use him better. Um, you know, that said, it, it's, you know, and also he's, you know, he's one of the good players on a defense that's kind of unknown, unproven, did not have a great, you know, overall uh, look last year. So I think from just the, the standpoint of how many quality players do you know you have on defense, I think you should want him to be here. I think it's interesting, though, like I think any kind of movement on Daniil Hunter, um, you know, a trade obviously would be the, the thing with with him. That would signal to me that the competitive rebuild has tilted in 2023 even further towards the rebuild than the competitive part because I don't think you trade Daniil Hunter in the next you know month or two and then get better as a team. I don't know what the, I, maybe maybe a deal could could look better for them, but I I'm having a hard time picturing a deal where you get better in 2023 without Daniil Hunter. Yeah, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean you certainly are not going to be better in 23 without him i i this one is the most complex of the set because of all the factors you guys just laid out and those are certainly affecting negotiations i think it's also worth remembering there is a history with this one i mean there is a history that dates back to mike zimmer rick spielman 
um, when he got hurt in, was that 2020? Was that the tweak year? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he gets hurt. Doesn't he decides to have surgery that didn't sit well with, with Mike Zimmer at the time. And that was when all of the stuff started to come out about why well, he wants to be paid more. He doesn't like this contract. Uh, he wants to be the highest paid edge rusher in the league. I think some of those things started to come out around that time. Nick Bosa money. Nick Bosa money. Yes. Um, <laughs> that came up at the time. So I, and the fact that they didn't want to do that, I, I think probably for a good reason in the sense that they didn't know, is he going to recover and, and is he going to be the player he was? I think that has affected how he's viewed the organization. I, I know that was a factor a couple of years ago. Um, I, I heard last year that they were talking about the possibility of training him. So the idea that they would, look into that is not unprecedented. Um, the idea that people would look at, okay, this guy's underpaid and is heading into a contract year. Let's see if we can make a deal for him is not surprising either. So uh, it, it's a strange situation because the, the scheme changes. I don't think he had the type of year that, um, makes you say okay well here's the here's the bag of money no questions asked i mean he had a good year um but i i don't think he was the type of player that we saw in 2017 2018 2019 where it's like good grief this guy is headed towards canton and it's just you know if he stays on this track it's just a matter of time until we see him in a gold jacket i mean he had that kind of trajectory early in his career there was there's no doubt about it but we haven't seen that player at that level for a while. And if you want to be paid, I think the way that he is hoping to be paid, and it, probably some of this is years of, I mean, he signed a very, very team-friendly deal in 2018. And I think he's realized, I screwed that up. I should have held out for a little bit more money before I signed it. I'm not a hold out, but, you know, I should have played a little more hardball in negotiations before I signed the deal. So I, I think there's probably been a little bit of trying to make up for lost time there, but that's not really how this works. I mean, you have to show that you're worth top of the league edge rusher money before you get paid that at a premium position. And he has flashes of that, but I think they'd like to see more of it before they said, yeah, we're going to just give you the, give you the Brinks truck or give you the bag as the kids say. I think a lot of people had a lot of problems with Ed Donatel's defense, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I do know that Daniel Hunter did not like what he was being yeah. asked to do. And he's not the kind of guy who's going to vocalize much of anything publicly, uh, especially that. But he wasn't a big fan of at least that system and his role in it. And he also wasn't. Yeah, I, I go back to the Lions game. It's December. They lose at Ford Field, and he's in Panay Sewell's belly button almost the in entire game. He's he's getting those one-on-one -on -one matchups, and he's yep. not winning. He's not winning them. Yep. He's getting stuck every time, and not being that powerful uh, guy who could toss any tackle, let alone um, you know one who's very talented in Panay Sewell, but still pretty young, and somebody that Daniel at his stage should be able to win against. So. It's just an interesting setup for a guy who's been very productive before, but you wonder how well of a fit he remains in Minnesota. And this is not the organization that drafted him, nor is it the organization that 
in terms of the leadership and the regime yep. that that uh, saw his peak and saw what he was like up close when he was truly dominating. Uh, they're still waiting to see that. And and I do wonder how that's going to affect the current outlook. And if Daniil is more likely to hold out and not show up to mandatory minicamp, risk not showing up to training camp, although the CBA has made that almost impossible now with what they can yeah. fine you. Yeah, and you can't of, waive them. In terms like of that, skipping. Yeah, if you get fined, you're fined. I mean, they, yeah. they can't just say, oh, you know, forget it. This is this was just, you know, fake, you know, funny money sort of stuff. You get fined now. And it's, I think it's like 50 grand. It's a lot. It's expensive. I can't remember how much, but it's even something that multi multi-millionaires would not want to mess with. So yeah. the owners did that on purpose to end the whole training camp holdout. So then hold-ins will be the whole thing. And so it'll be very interesting um, if a team will come in and take him because we're already seeing the national reports of, hey, he's available. Come get him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny how those the timing of those, isn't it? <laughs> Mike, what were you saying? Uh, I was just going to say, like, I, I still have like this perception of Daniil Hunter being younger than he is, but he's this is going to be his ninth year. Like, he's the same draft class as Eric Kendricks, a guy they just got rid of because he was ostensibly lo- losing a step. Like, they probably have to take that into consideration too. Like, is Daniil Hunter at the beginning of a decline? Like, he's he's a he was a younger kind of end of that draft class. I think he's still only twenty eight right now, going to be yep. twenty nine in October. So, nineteen ninety four birthday, I believe. Little, a little different, I think, than some other guys, but like that's that's still probably a question they're asking themselves. Like, are, are, if if even if they haven't seen the best of Daniel Hunter with their own eyes yet, is the best of Daniel Hunter yet to come, or have we seen the best of Daniel Hunter already earlier in his career? And is it going to be in this scheme? I, I think they'll be yeah. more aggressive with Brian Flores. There's certainly plans to be more aggressive. They can't be less aggressive. No, they cannot, and I don't think they have any interest in being less aggressive with. Brian Flores than they were with Ed Donatel, but it's still a three, four. It's still going to look different at times. I mean, if they're playing a lot of five man fronts, which I would expect, um, you know, you're going to have opportunities to get good matchups, but uh, yeah, you got to win them. And I, I think there's a little bit of that where had he beaten Panay Sewell mm-hmm. last year, had he beaten a lot of these tackles in one-on-ones, I think they'd be ready to pay him. I I think they have some reservations based on what we saw, where you are not cashing in on the fact that Zedaria Smith was getting a lot of the attention and you're not winning all these one-on-ones to the point where you're just like, hey, th- this guy's back. He's he's what he was, and, and there's no question about it. You know, those types of things are hard to kind of unsee i think after you've seen them but boy if they moved him i mean yeah. that, that yeah. cupboard is bare that's what i'm saying like it is not going to help you this year like you'd be who's going to rush the passer marcus davenport yeah and agent well, zero maybe who had zero sacks last year and who else uh i don't know mm. <laughs> oh man it literally yeah marcus davenport uh, led, the saints in, led the saints in pressures but had half a sack last year um, and yeah, they don't have anybody else. It's Dean Lowry, DJ Wanham has been starting for Daniel Hunter in OTAs, but DJ Wanham has been kind of just a guy for you. Um, yeah. not really a game changer, certainly. So they would need a, the ascension of Patrick Jones, some of these young guys that they brought in. Um, what it, it would be just, yeah, uh, it would very much hint toward the rebuild section of 2023 for these Vikings, which they have kind of dipped their toe in the water already. 
Um, let's talk about Brian Flores defense before we wrap up here in terms of what we've seen from this spring. Um, Ben, we spent a lot of the last two podcasts talking about the offense, Cook, mm-hmm. Jefferson, all that. What have your impressions been of what we've seen from this defense? Well, I, I think you're going to see it. You have a better sense of it probably in training camp too once pads are on, but it's going to be a lot different than what we saw last year. I mean, there, there's you're going to see a lot of the things that Brian Flores has been known for, and that's you know kind of what we've seen at this point. It's going to be a lot of pressure, but also showing aggressive pressure looks and just getting people to react to that. I mean, trying to put offenses kind of on their heels saying, oh, okay, is this guy coming? Is this guy coming? It's going to be more of that type of stuff. Kind of, I mean, that was, I think, the Mike Zimmer system when it was at its best, not with heavy blitz doses. It was not a system where they blitzed 35, 40% of the time or anything like that, but it was always, you don't know who's coming from where, so you have to account for it. And then it's the, you know, the oh crap factor from the offensive line or the center and the quarterback trying to account for, do we need to block this guy? And then he drops. And so you're going to see a lot of those things. I think, Um, I think they feel like they can generate and we're talking about pressure. I think they feel like they can generate some of it with that, Um, you know, just by mixing and matching and getting open looks for people based off of how they present things before the snap. I mean, there's certainly some of that, that has, impressed Kevin O'Connell about Brian Flores in the past. That's some of what I think formed the impression that he has of Brian Flores and why he was an attractive candidate for this job. But it's going to be a lot of those things. And I I think they, it's certainly going to look a lot different than what we've seen. I really, and you could say back to Zimmer, but even in the manner in which they do it, it's going to look different than what we've seen probably at any point in our time covering the team. I mean, just in terms of how they line up, how much they shape shift, how aggressive they are, all of that stuff I think is going to be a lot different of a style of play than, I mean, I go back to 2012 and I I can't think of a time that it's going to look quite like this. Yeah, Mike, the personnel is going to look a lot different too. We're seeing a Caleb Evans getting a lot of first team reps, the rookie from last year in the fourth round. Uh, he's getting those reps over Andrew Booth, who has been often filling in for Byron Murphy's side on the left side of the defense where Patrick Peterson used to line up. Um, and right now it seems like they're mitigating their their shortage of outside corners by implementing a lot of three safety looks. They're getting Josh Metellus involved in kind of a nickel uh, linebacker role. Um, they're using more of their veteran safeties in the middle of the field as opposed to at least in, in May and June as opposed to shifting Byron Murphy inside, which we will eventually see and putting those two younger corners on the outsides. Um, I think they're going to have a multitude of ways to go as Ben's talking about. And maybe we might not have to, if you're the Vikings, you might not have to rely on some of these younger corners. If you just lean on that safety group. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely good to have a certain amount of versatility when you don't know as much about your personnel as you might, like to and I'm just <laughs> thinking again about man what if they trade to Neil Hunter and how much more pressure that puts on <laughs> secondary that's very uh, young and and untested too um yeah I th- I think it's it's going to be a learning year I mean it's you know like Andrew you and I talked about I think on a podcast a couple weeks ago like they're putting a lot on Brian Flores like hey go uh 
go fix this thing. Here's mm-hmm. here's some spare parts. Here's some guys we kind of like. Here's uh, Brian Asamoah, who's really fast, but you know is still not terribly proven. Um, here's some guys that might rush the passer. Here's a bunch of young corners and safeties. Go do something with it. So it's just kind of it's interesting to me to see how much confidence, how much faith, and how much you know, kind of how much is being put on Brian Flores. Yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. And he's also, I mean, Ben, if this works out, he's ripe for taking yep. all of the credit. Yes, that's what I was just yeah. about to say. It yeah. is He is set up to look like the savior if they are good again. And the reason for it is the defensive improvement. I, I think there's, there's no doubt about that. I think they know that. I think he knows that. That's part of the reason it's an attractive opportunity is that if you are in line to be a head coach again and – I, I don't think any of us look at the means through which his first opportunity ended or the, even the way it went and say, oh, that was a fair shot. But the reality is you probably get two. Um, I don't think you're going to get three. So even though the way he got to this point probably was not the way anybody would have wanted, he's got one more shot realistically, and you have to be picky with what that is. And I think the opportunity to come in here – and especially if it goes well, you're going to get a lot of credit. I it is, uh, and and probably the other thing we should mention is you're going to, have to get a lot of credit, and you also have access to a lot of offensive assistants who are well regarded. There is a tree of well regarded people with whom you are associating, which gives you better opportunities to hire coordinators if you get another shot because part of being a defensive head coach is you have to have a really smart offensive mind so you have access to that tree and the larger sort of Shanahan McVay tree that is around the league I think that is a benefit to this job as well so yeah if it goes well for him it's going to put him right back in that pipeline of the hot coaching candidates in 2024 which means you have to go replace him if that happens but I think they would deal with that if it happened because it would have meant good things for their defense in the process. That means they would need great play out of that secondary, great blitzing calls and designs to generate the pass rush that they might not have. If Daniel Hunter's not here, um, or even if he is here, they might still need to generate that pressure uh, because they don't have Dalvin Tomlinson anymore. They don't have Kendricks who was one of their better blitzers at linebacker. Um, There's just a lot of change and shift uh, in this. And before we go, I wanted to mention, um, I ended up talking with Lewis scene and Durante Jones, uh, at OTAs this week. And it was interesting to hear both of them talk about where he fits in a group where he's obviously the number four safety out of four. Um, he's the first round pick obviously from last year who got hurt in his third NFL game. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of experience and Durante Jones is pretty candid in talking about how he's still learning, even the intricacies of just safety, free safety, strong safety. Whereas a guy like Josh Metellus is working at nickel because he's done that in an NFL game. And then yeah. he's shifting over and now he's learning Brian Osamoa's spot at linebacker in case he plays that in dime. And then all the pressures and shifts that go with that up in the front, Lewis Cena is going nowhere near there during practices. It is noteworthy that they're focusing him solely on these two safety deep spots yeah. Um that his only, if he continues to do that, if he doesn't show a grasp of that and then get more on his plate in training camp, his ceiling this year is just injury replacement. It's not even 
um, a sub package player because they've got the other guys that are doing that in these practices. So the path is there for him beyond this year. Josh Metellus is a free agent after this year. Harrison Smith is 35 after mm-hmm. this year. Um, so it's not like, I think people need to have perspective and not call him a bust, but I asked Lewis seen what, what is a good 2023 for you? And he just said, playing every game. He said, I can't put anything on myself more than that. Cause if I'm not out there, nothing I want is going to come to fruition anyway. I just need to be healthy. And, and I think that should be the expectations probably for everybody because this is a decent group, at least at safety at corner. Eh, I don't know about that, but at safety, it seems like it's a pretty decent group. And Ben, we're still seeing Cam Bynum as the starter. Um, we're not even Metellus who has shown some things in games or a first round pick in, in scene is really challenging him at that spot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cam Bynum, I think played every snap last year and I think they like some things about him and he has some things to figure out. I think in coverage too, we saw some, some tough moments for him too, but a guy obviously that you play every snap, you've earned some trust and you've, you put some things on tape and, and he's had some, some nice moments as well. So yeah, there's enough depth, I think to bring him along a little more slowly. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate timing for him to get hurt week four of your rookie season and then you're learning a new scheme for the second time in as many years in the NFL. But um, yeah, it, it is, I think, probably wise to temper expectations for him until or unless he shows that he's capable of, of picking all this up quickly. Because, yeah, it's it's not like we saw a lot from him last year before he got hurt. He didn't play a ton really much at all in defense beyond just the special teams type stuff. So there's a lot to get to with him before you have a full sense of how good he can be, what he can do. Uh, there, there's still just a lot of work to do before we get there. Yeah, and Durante got into some of the intricacies of just what we're asking him to do up in the box in terms of under Donatello, it was a lot more pattern matching and reading which is your guy, whereas here it's man with eyes to the quarterback underneath, and he's still learning how to pair the footwork with where his eyes should be. He's like, all this stuff is so basic that we have to start out with him that we couldn't possibly say he's going to be our nickel player or our dime player this year. Um, And it's interesting to see where they have to start building with that and, and kind of where they're going to go with a very talented first round pick who I um, Durante Jones also mentioned that one of the things that separates him from all of our players is his speed and that he is the fastest safety we've got without question. And so the ceiling is there in terms of his talent. It's just can the mental side catch up quickly and can he be a player for them this year or is it going to be more like next year? Uh, We'll have to see. Um, Ben, we also should mention one more guy who's been really busy in OTAs. It's a track guy. By the name of Jalen Naylor. Yeah. Um, we a lot of fans are buzzing about Jalen Naylor, Ben, and I'm surprised you haven't been leading the bandwagon. You know, I uh I I I try not to uh overstate things, especially with track guys. You know, it's <laughs> right. not really part of my brand to uh bang the drum for the track guys. But you know, as as you mentioned it, if you drag me into the conversation, uh <laughs> yeah, the speed is there. And uh I personally I think it's a, a yet another reason why any young kids listening to this and i, I know our we, we're very big with the young athlete audience uh Huge. go, track, go uh, football players go for track in the spring it helps um yeah he i mean he has uh he has impressed and i think they feel like he can do something this year and there there could be opportunities there both this year and going forward kj osborne's a free agent after this year 
Uh, Jordan Addison certainly is going to be a big part of this thing for a long time. But you know, Jalen Rager has not done anything to cement any type of a larger role either. So there are certainly there is a lane there for Jalen Naylor to uh, sprint his way through to uh, <laughs> use some more track metaphors there. And I, I you know, I, we'll see what happens. But certainly so far they have been impressed. And I, I think he's going to continue to get looks in training camp to show what he can do. Yeah, Mike, we have yet to see Jordan Addison, obviously Justin Jefferson, not there. So it has, been, it has been KJ Osborne, Jalen Naylor, Jalen Rager, and Brandon Powell mixing in with the first team offense. Um, not the best uh, wide receiver group, but obviously when you're missing your two bona fide stars and or first round picks, I should say, um, that's what it's going to look like. But right, the Jalen Naylor buzz, make sure we get that on yeah. Ramball blog. Mr. Egan. Could be Mr. Egan. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll be it for us on this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com.